So it's Easter Sunday, you know this, and for many people that means chocolate bunnies and marshmallow peeps and colored eggs and goodie filled baskets. But for some of us, for some others of us, it means something much, much more. It is the time of year when we reflect on the single most important event in history. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I call this a single event because Christ's death and resurrection, though separate from each other, are inseparably connected. They go together. One presupposes the other and validates the other. It's been said concerning Christ's death, this moment of death was at the same time a moment of life. This hopeless moment was the moment when eternal hope was given. This terrible moment of injustice was at the very same time a moment of amazing grace. This moment of extreme suffering guaranteed that suffering would end one day, once and for all. This moment of sadness welcomed us to eternal joy of heart and life. The capture and death of Christ simultaneously purchased for us life and freedom. You see, at the center of Christianity, at the center of a biblical worldview, stands this radical paradox that the most horrible thing that ever happened was the most wonderful thing that ever happened. In other words, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead changes everything. Which brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about resurrection. The entire chapter is about the centrality, the importance, the necessity of the resurrection. It's, it's certainty, it's centrality to our Christian faith. It's about Christ's resurrection and, the, and what it means for those who believe Christ. So I want to consider the final section of this great chapter this morning, verses 50 through 58, which we've already read in a message I've titled, Our Victorious Resurrection. The point this Easter Sunday morning, this point that I want to share with you from the Scriptures is simply this. Christ's death was swallowed up in victory at His resurrection. And so will it be at ours. Christ's death was swallowed up in victory at His resurrection, and so it will be at ours. I want to highlight five things from these verses. Five, what I'm calling resurrection realities that bring faith and hope and life and, and, and catch this, victory. Victory. Victory through Jesus Christ. Five resurrection realities. Number one, in our earthly state, we are incapable of life after death. 
Verse 50 says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Paul is speaking about heaven. He's talking about receiving the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. He's looking forward to life after death. He's answering the question of what happens when we die. Specifically, what happens to the person who trusts Christ? Our bodies are temporal. They're perishable. They're earthly and unable to receive God's heavenly kingdom. There's a difference between heaven and earth. Our bodies, being earthly, being mere flesh and blood, do not last forever. They will die, and unless the Lord returns beforehand, so will we. And so maybe you've heard the story. I think I might have shared this with you before. You've heard the story of the preacher who told his congregation someday every member of this church will die. And the people sat there in stunned silence until one man laughed out loud and said thankfully, well then, I'm sure glad I'm not a member of this church. <laughs> he missed the point entirely. Life is a gift, right? It's a gift. It's so good, so precious, and yet so frail and so fleeting despite our best efforts at longevity the mortality rate remains 100% we all die and these perishable bodies are incapable of life after death we cannot and will not go to heaven in our present earthly state however number 2 the perishable when changed will be raised imperishable. Verses 51 and 52 say, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be Changed. Two things to notice here. I want you to see first that it refers to death as sleep. It says we shall not all sleep. You see, for the Christian, even death is not the end of the story, but a passing rather from one chapter to the next. It's like sleep. It's like a passing from one day to the next. It's like falling asleep at the end of one day only to rise the following morning refreshed and renewed. It, it all pictures the resurrection. When the Christian dies, he or she closes his eyes in this world and opens them again in the kingdom of heaven and in the presence of Christ. And I want you to notice how instantaneous this, this, this change is. It occurs, it says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Have you ever noticed how quickly time passes when you're sleeping? 
You go to sleep, and before you know it, morning has come. The alarm awakens you to another day. And similarly, when the Christian dies, he or she is quickly awakened by the sound of that great trumpet that signals the arrival of new life in heaven with God as the trumpet announces the arrival of a coming king, so will that great trumpet announce the arrival of the coming Christ. As as a trumpet gathers an army or rallies people together, so will that great trumpet bring together all who know Christ. Those who have died, whose bodies have decomposed in the ground or are no more, will be changed. And those who are still living when Christ returns will will likewise be changed. Our loved ones who have trusted Jesus, who have already died, will be raised. Already they are with Christ in heaven. Their soul is with Him already and they rejoice for to be away from Uh, the body is to be at home with the Lord but a day is coming when their body will be raised also to again join the soul and to gather with all who trust Jesus we shall see them again and recognize them and enjoy them and enjoy their company even as people saw and recognized and enjoy the company of the risen Lord Christian sanctification process of Christian sanctification is a lifelong process. But Christian glorification is instantaneous. When the trumpet sounds and Jesus returns, all His people will be instantaneously changed. In a twinkling of an eye, we will be glorified in, a, in one split-second moment We will see Him in glory and we will be like Him. We will bear His image. The image of God in which we were created will be restored. He will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body. Verse 53. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Perishable means that our bodies decay, they grow tired, they run down and wear out. Mortal means that our bodies die. But at the final resurrection, our bodies will be changed so that there is no decay, no growing tired, no wearing out, no running down. We'll have new and glorified and everlasting bodies which befits our new and glorious and eternal life in Christ. And Paul calls this a mystery in verse 51, not because we cannot know it, but because it is beyond natural human ability or explanation. It is supernatural. The wonders of our final resurrection are beyond the limits of our finite comprehension, and yet still, even today, we can know it 
and we can believe it, we can be certain of it, mortality will give way to immortality, and the perishable, when changed by God, will be raised imperishable. Number three. And when we are raised from the dead, when we are raised from the dead, death itself will die. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, verse 54, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. One day, we will die in these perishable mortal bodies, but when Christ returns, we will be raised imperishable, and immortal, and death itself will die. Death itself will be defeated and sting no longer for those who know Jesus. Today, we feel the sting of death, don't we? I sometimes say this at funerals. It's like this stab in the heart or a blow to the gut that just staggers us and leaves us reeling. we feel the sting of death upon learning of the 147 university students and faculty who were senselessly murdered in Kenya last week. We feel it when we hear the word cancer or any other terminal disease. We feel it when a loved one dies. Many of us, even this morning, are still grieving the loss of parents or spouses or siblings or, or grandparents or, or nieces or nephews or uncles or aunts or even children. Some of us have loved ones teetering, even today it seems, on the verge of death. And we feel it. And it stings. Why does death sting? Why does death sting? Well, it's because it's not, it's not how it's supposed to be. It's like an unwelcome intruder that just doesn't belong. It's not part of the plan. Verse 56 says, the sting of death is sin. The sting of death is sin, meaning that, that sin is what makes death so fearful, so unsettling, so terrifying. If there had been no sin, there would have been no death, at least not as we know it today. Death is terrible because of sin. Death is ominous and frightening because of Sin, death is separation and loss and pain because of sin. Death is death because sin brings death. 
Sin enters the world in Genesis 3. And death enters the world in the very same chapter. And it spreads immediately. In in Genesis 4, Cain murders Abel. In Genesis 5, Adam's uh, descendants are listed in the phrase, and he died. Is found for the first time in Scripture. It's mentioned eight times. Adam lived, and he died. Seth lived, and he died. Enosh lived, and he died. Kenan lived, and he died. Mahalalel lived, and, and he died. Jared lived, and he died. Methuselah lived, and he died. Lamech lived, and he died. One person after the other, from one generation to the next, Sin spread and death spread with it. Then we fast forward to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, where it says, Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. All of us are guilty. We have all sinned. All humanity has turned from God in many and varied ways. And the wages of sin, we're told, is death. Apart from Christ, we all are under the sentence of death, separation from God, hell, removal from everlasting joy into misery that never ends. That's the sting, ultimately. And that's because of sin. But what God wants us to hear this morning and what the, the Word of God is saying to us through this passage is that death will die and sting no longer. The, the unwelcome intruder will be destroyed and things will be restored to their original intent. It will be the way it was supposed to be from the start. The Bible says that God is making all things new and one day He will wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more mourning. Can you imagine a world? No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. No more fear. No more separation. No more sin. And therefore, no more death. One day, Upon Christ's return, it will be asked, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Where? When death has died, who will have the victory then? And where is death's sting? Where is it? Where is it? But upon the cross of Christ. As the sting of death is sin, so did Jesus bear our sins on the cross And as the power of sin is the law, that's also verse 56, meaning that God's holy and righteous and perfect law finds us guilty, so did Christ meet the just requirements of the law on the cross. So yes, today we still feel death's sting. Sin and its disastrous effects are still present. We still live in a broken, fallen world. But listen, we do not bear death's sting because Jesus has already done that. 
Jesus bore the sting of death so that we would not have to. The divine Son of God took all the punishment death could give, and He literally died upon that cross. He died as no one before or since ever has, as the sinless sin-bearer who paid sin's penalty in full. It says that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. And so many, many mocked Him at His crucifixion. Many that gathered at His crucifixion mocked Him. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross, they said. He saved others, but He could not even save Himself, they jeered. If you're the king, they ridiculed. If you're the king, save yourself. But Jesus didn't save himself because he came to save sinners instead. He looked death square in the eye and freely laid down his life and absorbed its full sting and rose again from the dead. And it's that decisive two-part act, Christ's death and resurrection, that dealt death its fatal blow. And so, dear people, death is defeated. It tries to sting you, It tries to kill you. If nothing else, it tries to kill your joy and your faith and your hope. It tries and it tries, but it can't. Not really, because its sting is gone. Listen, the poison has been drained out of it. It's been removed because sin has been canceled. And the power of the law to condemn us is likewise removed because Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law perfectly on our behalf. And when Jesus returns, D-Day will become V-Day. The victory He secured long ago will be fully realized and death itself will be no more when Christ returns and the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that death is swallowed up in victory, in victory. Number four, God gives us this victory. God gives us this victory through Christ our Lord. Death is swallowed up in victory and its sting is removed. Listen, death is swallowed up in victory and its sting is removed because God did something. Thanks be to God. The Lord Jesus Christ has put himself in our place. He has met every demand that God requires of you. I want you to hear that again. He has met every demand that God requires of you. Does God's law demand perfection? Yes. And Christ has obeyed it perfectly. 
Does sin bring death? Yes. And Christ has died for the sinner. He, he who is without sin became sin for us. Must we have a perfect righteousness to stand before a holy God? Must we have a perfect righteousness to stand before a holy God? Yes. And Christ is our righteousness. And he, is an, and he has established an everlasting righteousness which is credited to the account of every sinner who comes to him in need and receives him by faith. Stop trying to earn your way. You can't. But Christ has earned it for you. And he says, come and trust me. We who have sinned and deserve death instead receive from God victory through Christ. Through Christ we triumph over death. Through Christ, whatever little victories death seems to achieve in our lives will be completely undone by God because Jesus died and rose again. The resurrection is God's most gracious solution to our greatest problem. For when Christ died and rose again, He secured life new and eternal for all who trust Him and who trust in Him alone. And in this we discover the love of God, the great a boundless, uh, uh, boundless, infinite, lavish, generous, unending, ceaseless love of God. God gives us this victory, not, not from obligation. He doesn't owe us anything. And it's not, it's not just pity. It's not from pity. God isn't just feeling sorry for you. And it's certainly not neediness, as if God needs something from you. That's not the case. It's simply that He loves you. It's love, pure and divine. Love brought about God's eternal plan of salvation. Love sent the Messiah to save. Love was the driving force behind Christ's earthly ministry. Love led Him to teach us and and, uh, and show us and reveal God to us. Love compelled Him to the cross. Love endured the cross. Love suffered and died. And love rose again from the dead. And when Jesus rose from the dead, what seemed like a defeat became the greatest victory of all time. And what God did in raising His Son from the dead, listen, will be repeated on a grand scale when Christ returns. His death 
was swallowed up in victory at his resurrection, and so will death be swallowed up in victory at ours. For God has given us this victory. He has given it to us through Christ our Lord. And then fifth and finally, we can live victoriously today. Today. I want you to see that it does not say God will give you the victory. But God gives you the victory. Today. Presently. What does it mean for our world that Christ is risen? Today. What does it mean for you and for me today? It means that life has value and meaning. It means that how you live or what you do matters. It means that who you are matters. It means that sin and death do not have final say. It means it means that it's not just live and die and then it's over. It's not that. It means new life. It means newness of life. It means newness of life, not just for the future only, but for the present. Newness of life today. I want to read a quote from Tim, Tim Keller. He says, After the death of Jesus, the entire Christian community suddenly adopted a set of beliefs that were brand new and until that point had been unthinkable. The first Christians had a, had a resurrection-centered view of reality. They believed that, that the future resurrection had already begun in Jesus. That Jesus' resurrection guaranteed our resurrection and brought some of the future new life into our lives now. And I love that phrase, a resurrection-centered view of reality. And so let me ask you, is, is that your view this morning? Is it a resurrection-centered view? Is your future affecting your present? Is your victorious resurrection bringing you victory today? God has given us this victory through Christ, and He desires that we live in the reality of that great triumph. Christ has come. He's taken all your sins on Himself. 
He's borne their punishment entirely. He's died in your place. He's risen from the dead. He has sought you and he has saved you. He has given you new life and a glorious hope. No condemnation, no separation from God, no hell. The sting of death is removed. To live or die is to be with Christ. The victory is yours. And so are you living victoriously this morning? Well, how do we do that? Live victoriously. Verse 58 provides an answer. Verse 58 is is the great response to verses 1 through 57. In other words, in view of all that God has done in light of Christ's death and resurrection, therefore, this is the great therefore of 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast. If you want to be in victory today, be steadfast. It means don't give up, don't throw in the towel. Keep moving forward. Keep taking new ground by faith. Press onward and upward and grab hold of Christ who's taken hold of you. Be immovable. It means not easily shaken. It means stand strong. Hold your ground. When trials come and the wind blows and the waves beat against your faith, keep steady and undeterred. And be always abounding in the work of the Lord. It means be generous in ministry. It implies that ministry is work and not always easy. To abound in means to overflow with. Do lots of it, in other words. Do lots and lots and more and more. That's how we live in victory. We work hard. We live gospel-centered lives. We share in the ministry of the gospel at church and at work and at school and at home. We fill our days with things that count for Christ. And we do all these things knowing that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. Be steadfast. Be immovable. And abound in the work of the Lord. If you will do those things, you will live in victory day by day. So by God's wise and eternal plan, the worst possible thing, Christ's death, was at the same time the best possible thing. New life. Only God can do this. Only God can can make the worst to be the best. Only God redeems in this way. Only God transforms our lives like this. So this Easter Sunday morning, dear East Parkway, this Easter Sunday morning, may may you know, may you know, may you know the power of Christ's resurrection and may you live in victory. 
If you're a believer in Christ, may you know again the power of His resurrection. If you are not yet a believer, if you've not yet come to faith in Him, may, may you do so today. May you know this power. What seems like, what seems hopeless maybe from your point of view, may it be turned to hope. May your, may your doubt be turned to faith. May your defeat be turned to victory. May death become new and everlasting life through Christ our Lord. Amen.